Hi, everybody. Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network. It is the 30th day of May, 2023, the 10th day of Sivan, 5783. I hope wherever you are, you're all okay. We're having like a weird transition here in Israel between winter and spring. It hasn't seemed to make up its mind, and we're already rolling into June. But, um, but it's all good. It's actually very beautiful. Looking forward to a beautiful summer. I went to a conference last week at Bar Ilan. Um, I saw that a lot of my former professors were presenting some things. And one of my professors, with whom I did a seminar, Ayal Regev, just put out a book, which I know for some of you might be like, oh, really, Eve? But it, for me, it was super exciting, called Social Archaeology. I'll get him one of these days. He's super busy now um, interviewing. But basically, it's like how you can look into the past by how the buildings were built and how the flow was. I thought it was amazingly cool, some tremendous insights. And one that I wanted to share with you that was not from him is that I've been guiding and and teaching people for years, and I'm sure a lot of you know this, that coinage, having actual money, coins, doesn't start until about 2,500 years ago. Like in the 5th century BCE, they start in Persia. The Etruscans started also in the area that's now Italy, although the Romans take credit for it. They take a lot of credit from stuff that the Etruscans actually did. Anyhow, then it starts. And the reason that I talk about that is because, let's say, in the Tanakh or in other sources, they talk about money. Like, you know, Avraham Avinu, Abraham buys the Tomb of the Patriarchs for 400 shekels, but he doesn't actually pull out money. All right. What it is, is the weight in silver. Shekel is the same word as mishkal, which means the weight. All right. And and it's probably worth about like the equivalent today of about nine million dollars. Anyway, what they did in the olden days is they had to think differently when it came to trade and to barter and to buying things. And a lot of it was based in nature. Carob seeds are probably the source of the word carrot that we have like for stones. And knemida is literally like the length of a, a cane of reed. And there's an expression we use, ama, which is, um, which is in the length of an arm and all those kinds of things. A Roman foot was literally the size of an average soldier's foot. Okay. And it's only much later on. And I'm saying this because now in our digital world where everything is measured down to the millimeter, 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 it's important to remember what was going on in the olden days. Anyhow, so there was this lecture, and it was actually a lecture about the people that came and conquered the land of Israel. And first, of course, we have in the 8th century BCE, we have the Assyrians who come in, and they're the ones who exile the northern kingdom, who never comes back, the kingdom of Israel, what we call the Ten Tribes. And they are devastating. They come around, and they really, it's scorched earth. They're the ones who finish Edom and Moab and a lot of the, the biblical characters that we're familiar with. And according to this lecture, which was so fascinating, at least I thought so, I hope you think so too, they didn't do it in order to conquer the land. They wanted the people. They had land and they had water because they're in what's known as the Fertile Crescent, right? They've got plenty of rivers, but they don't have enough manpower. Maybe if they'd stopped waging so many wars and so many people had gotten killed, they would have had more manpower. But who am I to say? Anyhow, but they wanted the people. They wanted the people and they wanted the food. And that's what that's the policy that they have. The Babylonians follow that same idea, although by the time the Babylonians come into a lot of these lands, it's been so decimated by the Assyrians that there's not a whole lot of people left or a whole lot of food or anything else. But they do exile Judea. As we know, they're the ones who destroy the first temple in minus 586. And they really just exile the VIPs initially. It's only later that they take out the people. But then come the Persians, and the Persians did it differently. The Persians realized, and we know about this from like Cyrus and Koresh, the Persians realized that their empire was too big. And if you're not sure about that, you can go read the book of Esther. 
their empire was too big to have people send food as tax. It was just not going to make a thousand kilometers, your bag of wheat. And so they are the first ones who institute paying taxes with money. All right. Because it's just not practical otherwise. And so to, in order to do that, they let people go back to their ancestral lands, right? That's, that's when we come back, the return to Zion. Okay. We're among the only ones that actually take him up on his offer, but we come back and they tell people, go back to your land, farm your land. This way they also engender some kind of, well, less amount of enmity, right? People are less likely to rebel if they're back on their land and they're paying taxes, which I guess everybody felt at some point they had to do to somebody, but, but at least they're back home. And so that way he was able to rule an empire that wasn't like as crazy as some of the other ones that were going on and as mean. Um, and that's why coinage comes into play at that time period, because they're asking for money and therefore they developed the whole thing of coinage. So like I knew that I knew about the Assyrians and the Persians and I knew about the money, but I had never put it together like that, that I, that I was actually a major switch it still continues until today. I mean, we all pay taxes and I doubt any of you are sending barrels of oil or wine to whatever government you're living under. It's all money. And uh, and that was that whole thing. Anyhow, I thought this was really cool. Something that I just wanted to share with you guys, because otherwise you might think you'd actually gone into the podcast of someone who's not incredibly nerdy. But um, that was like the fun fact for today. But now on to my very, very patiently waiting guest. Um, Bonnie Rosenbaum is co-director for the Michael Levin base, which um, I was actually very honored to be asked to be the MC for their evening of celebration, which is going to happen in just a couple of weeks. Um, and I'm really, really excited about that. Also, Colonel Richard Kemp, who I'm sure all of you have heard of because he's just an amazing friend of Israel's. Uh, he's going to be honored as well as a whole lot of other people. So, Bonnie, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy day, taking care of our lone soldiers. Uh, to give me a few minutes. How are you doing? Um, I am great. And thank you so much for allowing me to be on this morning on such short notice. It really is a pleasure. Um, meeting you yesterday was very exciting and taking you on a tour of the base. We call it affectionately the base. Um, was really something special. And uh, I, I think we made an excellent choice in having you be our MC this year. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we'll know in a couple of weeks. So tell my, tell my listeners, um, I mean, I think everybody who's listening knows about the, the idea of lone soldiers, about soldiers um, who are not Israeli, who are not raised in Israel, who live in other you know, countries, who feel for, met, for a variety of reasons, and I'd like to talk to you about that variety of reasons, that they mm -hmm. want to join the IDF, that they want to serve. Um, it's not something that anybody here in Israel takes for granted. These are not, nope. you know, they don't get a draft notice at 18 like our kids do. Um, right. And they come and it's not simple. Um, I've had, you know, lone soldiers come into my house. I have a, a nephew who grew up in the States and he's here a lot. Um, and you see it's not without its challenges. And uh, right. but the first thing that I'd really like to do, because how can we not, is talk about Michael Levin, for whom right. the base is named. So let's let's start with that. Give us a little background. And we will go then into the legacy that has been built uh, in his memory. Okay, um, amazing. So Michael Levine was just your average, typical Jewish kid 
growing up in the suburbs of uh, Pennsylvania. He was born in 1984, and uh, he grew up in the conservative movement. He went through Camp Ramah, the whole whole system of uh, all that educational system. And he always had the dream that he was going to become a lone soldier. I believe uh, one, if not two of his grandparents were Holocaust survivors. And I believe uh, that one of the, another grandparent actually fought in World War II. So he had this very strong connection of, uh, you know, the destruction and the, and the saving of the Jews in Europe. Uh, and he went to, he came here to Israel and he wanted to join. And in fact, there were some issues with him joining at the beginning because he was too small and he wanted to be a paratrooper and they felt that he just didn't weigh enough. And if he would jump out of a plane, he would just be blown off course. Um, So he was not deterred and they would not let him in the front office to uh, get um, enlisted. So he was very creative. He went to the behind the building. He found a garbage can. He moved it. He climbed up the window and he walked right into the office of the commanding officer in charge of uh, drafting. And the commander looked at him and he said, how did you get through the front door? And Michael's response was, what made you think I went through the front door? Uh, immediately, the guy said, well, this kid has chutzpah. and for well, sure accept him so he did the army and he had a hard time uh there were nights that michael had nowhere to sleep because he didn't have a support system and he slept on park benches and uh getting food for a shabbat was was not so simple doing your laundry was not so simple you know you have to play this in your mind you get off base let's say it's december time and you live in jerusalem and you keep shabbat and you get home from base at 11 or uh 12 in the morning you know uh and in, in the afternoon i'm sorry and shabbos is only a couple of hours away you have to do some errands you have to do laundry and it's food cold. get something to eat prepare for shabbat yeah, yeah. And you don't have a washing machine or dryer in your apartment. You remember, if you are a regular Israeli soldier, when Shabbat comes, you go back home to your parents' house and they, you know, hug you and kiss you and they feed you and they do your laundry and they set you all up. So when Sunday morning comes, you're all packed by mom or dad. And, you know, you just really had to sleep the whole weekend. But these kids don't have that. They don't come home to a house that someone's making schnitzel or, you know, mm-hmm. soup for them or, uh, or doing their laundry. They have to figure it out all by themselves. So Michael said, you know, when I get out, I want to start a place where uh, lone soldiers can go to and feel safe and have services and, and get assistance. And unfortunately, a, a home away from home, a, a, home, a home away from home in every sense. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the second Lebanon war broke out in 2006 and Michael was actually not uh, here in Israel. He had his month's leave and he went back to the States. And uh, he heard that war broke out and he was just glued to the television and he just looked at his parents and he said, I I can't stay. I need to go back. 
uh, and his commander was saying, don't come back, don't come back. And he flew back to Israel. And by the time he came back, his unit had already gone into Lebanon. He went up to the border <laughs> and um, they really didn't want to tell him where their, where his unit was, but he was just so persistent that they did tell him and he went into Lebanon. And within 24 hours of him being back, in uh, Israel into Lebanon, he was he was killed. So unfortunately, he never lived to see um, his dream come true. But his family and friends did know about it. So there were several organizations that were made in uh, Michael's name. Uh, and we are now the last, the latest. We are the Michael Levine base. We opened up three years ago. February 2020, and we believe we're just uh, expanding on Michael's dream because not only are we helping take care of lone soldiers, but we've also included into our uh, system that we help lone Benoche roots. Mm -hmm. the, girl, the girls who are doing national service. Yeah, that's, a, that's another story that not that many people hear of is not just the soldiers, boys and girls, incidentally. <laughs> Uh, who who go into the army, but the option for people who want to somehow serve Israel, not necessarily in the framework of army for whatever reason, can do national service um, and serve more in civilian capacities. So you're so that's called benot sherut. Sherut means service. Uh, benot is girls. It's it's almost always and sometimes it's guys, but the vast majority I believe are girls. So these are also girls who come from outside the country. And, the, and I'll just explain to my listeners why I'm asking that, because we have sometimes lone soldiers whose families do live in Israel, but they are considered lone soldiers because there is no connection with the family, either right. because they come from a very ultra-Orthodox background and their family is upset with them for joining the Zionist army, sometimes because they are Muslim and their families break with them because they are joining the army uh, for a variety of reasons, or sometimes it's just a dysfunctional family and he doesn't have that kind of backup, like you described, you know, the mom, the, the parents who are supportive and everything. And, and unfortunately, so there are sometimes lone soldiers who are actually Israelis, but they are also considered lone soldiers. They have nowhere to go. The number is the number is there's approximately over seven thousand lone soldiers serving, and it's about fifty fifty. Um, fifty percent of them are Israeli born lone mm -hmm. soldiers, and the other fifty percent are uh, children who come kids right. who come from abroad to join. Now I would imagine that for the Israeli lone soldiers, there's a slight advantage, despite you know maybe not having a, a normative childhood or the trauma of. Not having family, even though you have family here in the country, is that at least, you know, they speak the language. They, you know, if they grew up in Israel, chances are they speak Hebrew. They know the culture. They know uh, because a lot of it is how people relate to each other, which is also very different than you right. have in, you know, in other parts of the world. So they have that advantage. But then they have, you know, the other disadvantages. You you are able to take care of everybody for, you know, whatever it is that their needs are. Right. Uh, we're very inclusive and very welcoming. Just to give you the numbers of in terms of Lombanoche roots, approximately 400 girls come every year. The number one country they come from is America. And right after that is France. The nice thing about Lombanoche roots is the majority, if not um, 
high 90s of those girls do make Aliyah. There is no guarantee that a lone soldier who comes here to serve his year or two are going is going to make Aliyah. Uh, so fact, they don't have to. They can volunteer they for do, the army without not, being a citizen. Uh-huh. They do not have to at all make Aliyah. They know they sign up uh, for their for their year and they go back to wherever they want to go uh, mm-hmm. back home. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it, it's very nice that we do get this influx of these 400 girls who work everywhere. They work in hospitals. They work in schools for special needs children. They work actually. We are we ourselves have uh, three Benot Sherut that help us uh, run the base. They work in Magenta um, Vida Dome. They work all over the country, and and you don't realize some of the sacrifices they also have to make because again, they they have no one to come home to, to do their laundry, make their clothes, do their shopping. And when you're a soldier, you're, you're at least on base during the week. So at least you know you're getting some kind of support system and food, of food, and food. Three <laughs> yeah. and, right, you know, right. but these Benoit Sherud are seven days a week taking care of themselves. And you don't realize sometimes the situations they're put in. Like in, for, for instance, last uh, summer, not this summer, last summer, there was a siren that went off in Jerusalem. And you have uh, 18-year-old Lone Benoche Roots who are working in the ICU unit of the of Shari Tzedek Hospital. Now, when a siren goes off, protocol is you're supposed to go into the bomb shelter. But what is the protocol when your patients are hooked on to these machines? They do not go into the bomb shelters and um, you need someone to stay out with them to take care of them. So on a rotation basis, these Benoche routes um, take turns running to and from the bomb shelters to stay with these patients. Wow. These are 18-year-old kids. So that's kind of heavy, like, mm-hmm. you know, they just signed up for, you know. Kind of a year abroad. <laughs> right. But not and really. Yeah. In bomb shelters while staying with patients who are hooked up to machines that they, you know, they can transport. Mm-hmm. So they are also warriors. They're, they are also heroes. And they're not as recognized as easily because a soldier, you see them in uniform, even if they're not a lone soldier, you still kind of treat a soldier a little bit differently, you know, look what he's doing for us. Right, but right. a favorite is just in regular clothes and people don't realize what a difference that they're really making. And the the flowing of organizations and hospitals that they, they really put in so much and, and so much love and dedication. Mm-hmm. So what you were showing to me yesterday, and there were some girls there and also some soldiers, um, was right. that you're the only, the, um, and as we said, there are a few different organizations taking care of lone soldiers, all super important. The needs are great. Um, right. but you're the only one that has a drop-in center. So right. h- how does that work? So we are, um, to date, the only organization in the entire Israel where a lone soldier uh, and a lone bache route can walk in to and sit with an advisor mm-hmm. and go to our coffee bar 
and get themselves a bowl of cereal or take out some yogurt or go to our washing machines and put their laundry in free of charge, of of course, Mm -hmm. you know, for anything, there's no slot machine for their coins. We provide them with the soap and everything like that. And then they can walk, you know, it's, it's so multi-tiered. They could come in, throw in a load of laundry, make themselves a bowl of cereal while Mm -hmm. they go into a room and sit down with an advisor about an issue that they're having and help get it all sorted out. And then when they put the stuff in their dryer, they could say, you know, I'm really out of supplies. And then they could have one of the staff members take them into our supply closet, which is, uh, you saw yesterday, just jam-packed with everything that they need from socks to underwear to tampons, to sports bras, to deodorant, shampoo, everything that they need to keep them going until they go back on onto base. And we charge them a very minimum amount of money, five shekels per item for the bigger items. Mm-hmm. And then it's solely because we're really trying to teach them a sense of financial responsibility. We don't want to see them say, oh, I have no money uh, to pay for toiletries but you know the night before they went out with friends Mm -hmm. and and blew all their money in a bar which look they need to blow off steam but they're still kids and we need to teach them what is responsible uh however if there are kids who cannot um pay for that we will take care of them we actually got a phone call at the beginning of the year from a father in ukraine who was sending his daughter to be a loan bache root. And he said straight out, I do not have anything to set her up. These girls get apartments, their, their rent is covered, but everything else, if they need a pillow or a blanket, they they need to buy it. They need right. to take it themselves. So we outfitted her with everything that we had in our supply closet and then whatever else more she needed. We uh, went to one of the local stores. We got her linen and towels and a pillow and blankets mm-hmm. and some pots and pans, you know. Right. So we are the, the place where these kids know that they could come to. We have Shabbat meals. We have meals on Chag. We, for Pesach, we give out huge amounts of food to get them through the week, including matzah and eggs and vegetables and fruits. And mm-hmm. we give them coffee and sugar and you know just basic items nothing really fancy but at least their refrigerators are not empty and you know if we give them eggs we give them a frying pan because what are you going to do with the eggs if you can't cook right them? exactly um, we give out lulavim and atrogan during sukkot we give out hanukkah menorahs and candles uh when it's right. hanukkah time but I- we also sell- I saw you had these beautiful Shabbat kits also. Uh, yes. Yeah. So so this week, which is very nice, we're have we are basing what we always have a main event Thursday night. This week's Thursday night is based around Shabbat and we are going to be baking challah. Um it's for open up for the guys and the girls. Uh, and then we always serve some kind of dinner. So we, we've got a, a very nice sponsor who um, is sponsoring uh, wings. So get some nice spicy wings going on. And then at the end of the event, 
uh, we got donated the Shabbat travel packages because a lot of these uh, soldiers in Beno Tariq go away for Shabbat. So this mm -hmm. is like kind of an easy grab and go kit with a Kiddush cup and two tea lights for uh, lighting uh, right. candles and a Havdalah candle and uh, um, a Besumen holder and mm -hmm. even a bare phone for them to be able to make all the blessings. Right. So Beautiful. it's a really nice way to end the evening and uh, we're having a really nice sign up. So, um, yeah. So one of the things we talked, I mean, because you were telling me and you showed me a whole bunch of things that another community had donated, who they make all kinds of textiles and they donated sweatshirts and socks and all right. kinds of great things. Right. And so um, one of the things that I'm going to do now, of course, is also put this out on the tour guides list, because very right. often we have families that come or groups that come and they want to do or we, you know, inspire them to do some kind of chesed. Like, you know, you're right. having a great time here. Spend a couple of hours Doing something for somebody else here in Israel, it can be the most meaningful part of the trip. Um, and so you have these, you know, they can come in. And that's what I'm going to do. They can come in. They can volunteer with you. They can bring something from their home community, a big duffel bag, you know, full of, I don't know, T-shirts or whatever it is. It's, it's a major uh, program that we um, supply to the, out, uh, the community abroad. Or, or even here within Israel, uh, people get in touch with us. They'll say, you know, we want to, you, know, you can't really get on army bases anymore. They used to be the big thing, getting on an army base. Yeah, so the, com the commanders got upset. We're not Disneyland. Yeah. We're doing work here. This is not for that visitors. Is really, right. It's yeah. really strange. So what we can do is we can offer either a Thursday night event or a Friday morning breakfast where, you know, before you even come, I, I create for that specific group, depending on what season it is, a specific Amazon shopping cart that all they have to do is click on the link. They themselves, before they get here, could make it as a big party or they could have a, a synagogue fun, you know, a marathon of collecting all these items or mm -hmm. a class collection and, and someone brings it. And uh, then they come to the, the base, they get to watch our, our movie, they get a, a hand, uh, they get a tour like you got yesterday, and then they get to meet the lone soldiers and they get to meet the lone Benoche route. And then if they go even further and sponsor the event, they get to stay with them and eat with them and, and really get to understand and see who these kids are and how incredible they are. You know, like I always say, they do not have to be here. No. They don't have to be here. And if you think about it globally, this does not exist in any other country but Israel. I always say, you know, you never see some Italian kids from Brooklyn just picking up and leaving Brooklyn and going to Italy mm -hmm. and joining the Italian army right. or some Irish kids from Boston leaving. <clears throat> and joining the army in Ireland. This only happens here. Mm -hmm. And there's just something inside these kids because not all of these kids are religious. So they're not coming for religious reasons. A lot of them don't really, um, some of them, I can't even say are really coming for Zionistic reasons. I think there's just something inside these kids, like a flame that is calling them here to come and, and serve. And they're just, 
you know, they're, they're holy kids. They're, mm-hmm. they're really amazing kids. Right. So, so sometimes um, there are kids, though, who aren't coming, really, I would say, for the right reasons. You know, yes. and we've spoken about they that. Got them already. Yes. Right, right. And, um, you know, sometimes, look, unfortunately, we have suicides in the army. You have 18 and 19 year olds who, you know, are not necessarily in the best place emotionally or mentally in their lives with access right. to weapons. It's something right. that the numbers have cut down, been cut down drastically in the last few decades. Um, right. But it still happens. It still happens. Exactly. And, well, I mean, what you were saying to me yesterday is when an Israeli kid comes and joins the mm-hmm. army, he swipes his identity card and every single thing from stupid to marvelous that he's done in his life shows up on the screen. Right. And But you have right. kids coming from outside the country and not all of them share some of the pertinent details about right. their life that they should. And they right. fall through the cracks and and to some degree, do you think like some of the kids are coming because they think it'll fix their problems? They'll join the army. They'll become this heroic soldier. And then whatever issues they had will go away. But it turns out that this is a very difficult thing to do. And the majority of the cases, if you already have issues or problems, it's just right. going to make it worse. So right. how do you deal with that? It, thank God it, it is a very small minority in, in terms of suicide. Um you know, it's not a a lone soldier issue. There right. are unfortunately suicides within the Israeli army uh, done by Israelis. You know, right. Israelis kill themselves. Yeah, you just don't hear about it in the media as much. It's it's just a little bit more sensational, newsworthy if it's it's a kid not from Israel. Um, we have had kids that we have spoken to and we've told them straight out, we don't think the army is for you. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's what they say, how they're saying it. You know, if if they say something like, oh, I, I, I want to be Rambo. That, right. Red flag. That, red flag. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a big red flag. Um, I, I think they feel that if they come here they're going to get better and all their problems will be solved and they'll have a great service and they'll get through the other side and everything will be just amazing they don't realize that whatever they left behind will come you know i mm-hmm. say it may not be on the plane with them It'll be a couple of planes later. The issue, the problem will eventually come if it's, you know, family relations or just social relations or just mental illness that kids are not saying, you know, I'm taking certain medications for depression. They may skip telling that during their initial uh, physical to get into the army. But, um, you know, it, it always catches up. And not only does it catch up, now they have the problem that they're in the army. And like I told you yesterday, it's not sleepaway camp. You know, you can't call your mother and say, you know, mommy, I, I really don't like who I'm in the bunk with or my counselors mean, you know, right. I don't want to stay the rest of this uh, trip. <laughs> take take me home. Right. Uh, they're adults. They signed on and they're in the army. 
And um, people are counting on them also. They're filling roles. The that are counting on them. There have been issues where we were able to get them out of the army because it mm-hmm. just was not healthy for them. That is not the norm. You know, it so is you have very, counselors, you have social yes, workers, have you have people there. Social workers, not only do we have advisors who advise for army stuff and but no troop related issues, meaning uh, money or housing or going on to college or Aliyah right. or anything like that. But we do have uh, mental health advisors. We have a we have a whole medical committee that is really dedicated to not just mental health, but all all kinds of physical health. Also, you know, kids get injured, kids get sick. Right. Um, and so we have a whole health committee dedicated to taking care of these soldiers and Benocherut for, for whatever reason. You showed um, me a, a bed yesterday. You said there's a couple. They're both chiropractors, I believe. Yeah. And they come and volunteer, the husband and wife, and, and, yes, you know, and they, some of the kinks out. Yeah. Yeah. Snap them back into place. Amazing. And get them back going. And then that's in the same room as where we have our counseling. Um, so... It, it's an absolute honor doing what I do. I don't think any day is the same. We've been able to, we actually opened our doors two weeks before COVID uh, came into play. And boy, you know, whatever uh, model we thought we were going to be running on, work model, <laughs> absolutely just changed and right. everything. We had to, we, we had to, invent ourselves but already recreate ourselves at the same time and we did amazingly well um to date over 2,000 lone soldiers in Lombard have walked through our doors um but as always it's a challenge because we don't get any uh financial backing from the government we don't get um any um any funding from any other major organizations that is connected with the army Mm -hmm. we really just try and uh, knock on doors get foundations it's really uh people who send us donations via our our website and uh really say you know i'd like to did it we just moved into a larger location so a lot of people said, you know, I want to donate. I want to dedicate the kitchen to, some, to somebody where, you know, I want to donate or dedicate this. So it's really um, building our donor base, uh, getting the word out there, who we are mm-hmm. and what we are. We invite everyone to come to the base and see what we are. Which I want to say is not a base. It's a it's a large right. apartment, even though you're calling it the base. It's a right. very large apartment just down the block from the famous Machne Yehuda, the open air market in Jerusalem, which is also really great because you can weave it in with, a, right. you know, everyone goes well, to the Shuk. So, yeah. The reason why we picked this, we knew we had to be here is because, like I said, these kids need to find their own apartments when they're not on base. And the majority of them, who are living in in Jerusalem pick uh, the the Shuk area to right. live because you know it, it has easy access to shopping. It has great and transportation. Uh, it's transportation. also right near the train and the bus right. stops because they exactly. have to get wherever they're going. 
Right. So uh, we knew this was the place to be and, and our numbers are proving right. You know, our signups are proving right. We had over 70 kids here Thursday night for a Shavuot meal. Uh, and then we had learning through the night till 3.30 in the morning uh, of these kids. And these are well soldiers in Lombanot-Sherud who would love to go to sleep, but mm-hmm. they, they stayed and they learned throughout the night. uh, And they also are with each other. I mean, they're with other people who understand what they're going through. You're creating that safe space for them to find each other. We're creating that sense of community. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it becomes a highlight of coming here Friday morning breakfast when we're doing bagels and cream cheese and they get to see who they haven't seen in uh, a week or sometimes a soldier could be on base 21 days. So, you know, wow. they get off, they, they really want to be with, with and, and not just being on the base 21 days, being on the base 21 days, speaking Hebrew, thinking Hebrew. Right. And then when they come here, they get a chance to decompress, you right. know, they turn on the TV and they watch friends or, yeah. you know, they sit with friends. Right. So it gives them this safe place to be um and we're always trying to add more programs and services uh as soon as we see what a need is we really try and figure out how it is yeah how we can make it happen of course it's always the bottom line is it's always how can we figure out how to do it financially and once we figure that out then then we are, we're up and rolling right and, so- and we offer yeah, so one of the things that I do, and I know other guides do also, of course, is take people to Mount Herzl um, yeah. to tour the cemetery, not just, you know, the, the presidents and the prime ministers, but we go into the military cemetery and we talk about people. And Michael Levin's grave, is there's always people there. There's always flowers yeah. there. He has really, he was a little, he was a little man in real life, but his legacy is enormous. And uh, the kindness, the chesed, the goodness that has been done, the lives that literally have probably been saved in his memory is really astounding. And people know his story, but now they know the the, the post story, the appendix to his story. He's never able right. to build a family, but right. you, you and what you're doing are in a certain degree building that family for him. So on June 20th, there's going to be an evening of celebration in Jerusalem at the Botanical Gardens. Um, I'm posting the information for it, you know, along with this show. If anybody's interested, if you're in Jerusalem and want to come or want to help support it, that would be just a really incredible thing. And, of course, honoring Colonel Richard Kemp, who himself is an old soldier and has seen it all and is one of, he's a Catholic, and he is one of Israel's most vociferous advocates in the world as to the morality of our army and the caring that goes into it. it. It's really a people's army. He gets it. You get it. Yes. And uh, those and those of you who are listening, and I'm sure there's not just a few of you who have sent your kids here to be lone soldiers, or maybe who right now have lone soldiers, you should just know that there are people here who are caring for them. And the Michael Levin base is really doing whatever they can to, uh, to make it a, a better experience. You know, it's not an easy one, but it should be. It should be as smooth as possible. So, Bonnie, thank you so much for, thank for you. everything if that you're anybody, doing. If anyone has any personal questions or wants to reach out, I have a very, very easy email address. I'm Bonnie, B-O-N-N-I-E, at the base, 
www.ghostsmedia.org.il and I'd answer any of your questions and, you know, hope to make- I'll hyperlink that into your name in the interview as well so people can just click it and get more information. Okay. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Absolutely. Thank you. Terrific. All right. So uh, if we're already talking about soldiers, I just want to end the the show today uh, on a different note. Um, One of my sons, who's 36 years old, very busy work-wise, family, children, and all the responsibilities that go with it. He's now doing his um, reserve duty. He's doing his miluim, which at this point is probably to some degree Um, it's very easy to get out of reserve duty. Let's say that way. Everybody's got something going on. You can get a doctor's note. You can get to this. You can get to that. And a lot has been made in the last few months about, you know, the threats of certain reservists that they're not going to, you know, they don't care about the country anymore. If certain political things happen that they're not happy with, they're simply not going to serve. So he called me the other day from his base and he said, you know, there are, and again, these are all older guys who are leaving a lot in order to do the reserve duty. And some of them, he's got a few weeks, but some of them do reserve duty two or even three months a year if they're very involved in a more elite unit or they have a lot of security going on. And he said to me, um, there are 250 guys in his unit who are supposed to show up. And out of the 255, only 11 weren't they couldn't make contact with and didn't come so for those of you who think that the israel has abandoned its army and that the average israeli doesn't understand what it means to have this cohesive unit with all of its difficulties and all of the sacrifices that by the way the spouses make as well because when your husband or wife goes into doing reserve duty you're doing everything else plus um this is an awesome country with incredible people don't read the news, except for listening to certain podcasts, of course. Um, but but just understand that um, this is just something so much bigger. And uh, for the lone soldiers who didn't grow up with that and who come here and volunteer, there are really no words. So again, thank you to Bonnie and to everybody who facilitates that with the hope that one day we will need no lone soldiers and no army because we will not be threatened anymore. And we can finally just be a normal country and be able to do things without without all those worries. But until that day, until that day, um, Sahal rocks it. The IDF just rocks it. And so do all the people in this country who in some way participate in doing what has to be done to defend our little land. So Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network, thanks to Tabitha and to Ben for putting out the show. And to everybody for listening and for caring and for making the time. So take care, everybody, wherever you are, and goodbye for now. You're listening to the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com, broadcasting the truth and beauty of Israel to the world. 